One thing I, they wanted me to say um, was childcare could still be used in that Mommies of Munchkins. It's this Friday, March the 2nd. And so if you'd be interested in doing that, helping out with that, uh, you can see somebody. I don't know. Somebody in the back will be there to help you at the Connection Center. But um, families, that's uh, been our attempt this month, right, to uh, talk about. Haven't, uh, haven't had all the... T- the uh, Sundays that uh, we had planned on. But here's the verse that keeps going through my mind that I just am so um, hoping that you grab onto. It's that verse from Nehemiah, Old Testament, right? Um, Nehemiah is the guy that after the children of Israel have been taken from their land into what we call Babylonian captivity, right? Babylon, uh, uh, the, the Babylon Empire is, 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 is ruling the world and they've come to the land of Israel, and they have, they have defeated them. They have taken them captive, and they have taken most, a lot of their people back to Babylon, and Israel's just kind of rubble. There's nothing much left. And over a period of time, Nehemiah, he finds favor with the Babylonian uh, emperor, and he's able to say, hey, I'd like to go back and rebuild, start to rebuild Jerusalem and, and my homeland. And he gets blessing to do that, and they go back. In the meantime, other groups of people have moved in, and they're squatting on the land, so to speak. And they're not happy about them coming back. And, and so there's this whole idea of Nehemiah wanting to rebuild the city, rebuild the walls. And yet he's, they're, they're facing opposition, uh, physical attacks from other uh, peoples in that area. And in, that, in the context of that, Nehemiah would share these words when he said, you know, I sat down and I, I looked at the people and, and I said these words. I said, do not be afraid of your enemies, of these people. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight, fight for your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Fight for your families. God gave us this this unit, this core unit in the whole structure of society that is central to everything. That's family. He designed it. It's his deal. He put it together. And it's in that context that we find unbelievable love and support and security and structure, right? Strong families was always his intent but has been true all down through every generation, every age, every culture, because we're fallen, broken people, it can be easy for even this design of this unit to provide so much for us to become dysfunctional really fast. Right? We even joke about our dysfunctional families on certain things. But really, family can get dysfunctional, and what was meant to be so incredible becomes a great hardship and trial so often. 
And I believe scripture is trying to teach us, tell us, and I believe experience is showing us that good families, godly families, families that uh, live out the design that God always had is going to be something that is very intentional on our part. It's not, hey, got married, had some kids, got a family, this is all gonna be great and work out. I don't have to do anything. Just it happens, man. Kind of like the whole fairy tale when you watch the movies and they lived happily ever after. All of us know that that's not really, you know, like honeymoon forever, right? There isn't honeymoon. Hopefully there's always a honeymoon, but it takes work, right? It takes effort. It takes intentionality to make relationships go. And I absolutely believe that families, great families, godly families, take great intentionality on our part. It's not just going to happen. And so I love that phrase, fight for your families. Fight for your families. In a culture, in a world that is trying to break down the family, absolutely it is. Um, You can just even look over time, like we've used uh, some TV shows, right? Some of the music and some of the scenes from TV shows, The Family Matters. How many of you think of Urkel as soon as I say that, right? But even the evolution of our TV families through our culture to today with modern family and and stuff like that. The breakdown of, of what God designed for the family to look like and be. And we are going to have to have great intentionality. We're going to have to embrace that If I want to experience family as God intended and it's so easy can become dysfunctional, then I am going to have to fight for my family. I'm going to have to be intentional about it. I'm going to have to prioritize family. Um, So just wanted to to spend a little bit of time, have some actually some symbols here, just to, if you don't hear a word I say, which is very probable, all right, all right, I get that. Uh, maybe some symbols you remember, like, oh yeah, he held up that thing, and what was that about? Oh, and I just reminded you that great families last week have fun. Great families have learned to have fun together. Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes, the wisest man in the world, uh, a number of times says, listen, life is never intended to be all work and no play. In fact, life was meant to be enjoyed In fact, he says in Ecclesiastes 8 or something, every day is to be enjoyed. And if family is so central to who we are, and if we're called to enjoy life, then family better be a place that we have learned to have fun together, right? Some of the most meaningful, pivotal moments in my life where I experienced the love from my mom and dad, the acceptance from my mom and dad, the security in the relationship that I needed, and the great memories that made life just like I am getting to what came in the middle of having fun. Vacations, game nights, just, you know, having fun. And great families, healthy families, have caught on to the fact that life is not all work and no play. And this is uh, Sage's My Little Pony Shoots and Ladders. I will gladly give this to Goodwill. But not yet, right? Not yet. Because in this game of chance, (laughs) you can have a doctor's degree and lose to a two-year-old, three-year-old, and shoots and ladders. 
in this game of chance, her and I have been able to already connect and our relationship is deepened. Families, healthy families have learned to have fun together. To have fun together. In fact, here's my little take on one family. This is my only, little, my only take on the Winter Olympics, if you've been watching the Winter Olympics. I thought this was fun. A mother and daughter did this. Celebrating the Winter Olympics. fun right man just think down through how often when your family put pause on life and said we are going to just spend time together having fun what that meant for your family and we live in a world of next appointment next activity get to this get to that do this get them in this get them in that that sometimes so often we look back and we say you know what we have not even sat down together as a family or we've not even went somewhere together as a family and just had fun. That is so crucial to the health of a great family. So great families learn to have fun together. The second thing I want to share with you is simply this. And it's the symbol of a watering can. All right? How many, how many of you use one of these? Some of you are like, I just use a hose. What are you doing? But This is all about getting water, right? It's about um, providing uh, water so that plants, flowers can grow, right? Getting a life-giving uh, uh, substance to the flowers can grow. And I think families kind of are like gardens they're gar- they're like gardens they need um to be grown to be developed they don't just happen on their own they don't just get healthy on their own and yet family i believe was intended was created to create in all of its members a chance to be a growing healthy person Families help, great families, learn to encourage growth. Um, I kind of sat on the scripture for a while. I didn't kind of, I've always just kind of read by it and thought that's interesting. Um, but we don't know much about Jesus from the time he was after Bethlehem till when he starts his ministry, right? About two years old to 30, there's not much said. 12 years old, we realize he's a really smart guy, right? He's like confounding all the teachers in the temple when he's 12. And um, other than that, we don't see much. But Luke kind of clues us in to this one little verse, Luke 2 and 52, where he says this, that Jesus in those years, he grew in wisdom. And again, we could have conversations about how does the Son of God grow in wisdom? And that's for another time, right? But the scriptures are clear. He grew in wisdom, intellect, in stature, physical, in favor with God. That's a phrase that's enough to make us sit and think for a while. The Son of God grew in favor with God as he was growing, in favor with God that's spiritual, and with man that's social. 
Jesus grew in these areas of his life, this, this mental, physical, spiritual, and social. He grew. And families, I believe, or I, I think it's, it's, um, it's right to say that good families, great families, are families that learn to encourage growth in one another. Let me, let me explain it like this. Isn't, as a parent, isn't it one of the coolest things to see your kids find a new passion or a new hobby? Isn't it so much fun? Like they just take off with something. They start their little minds, start to like grab onto something. They, like, they like this and, and all of a sudden they're asking you to, hey, can we buy this so I can do this? Or hey, you know, their questions are about this. It's so much fun to watch our kids grow in, in new passions and new hobbies, right? And we'll go to great lengths sometimes to try to help them grow in that area. Maybe it is something mental. Maybe it is something physical um uh, maybe it is something social but it's so much fun to watch them grow in these areas and we feel so uh so so much responsibility to say hey they really love this i want to see them grow in this i want to see them develop here (coughs) it's so much fun to watch our kids grow in the development of their lives the different stages right take so much joy um I'm getting a little older, I guess, and I'm done having kids. And so I know that this Selah's, she's the last one, right? And maybe because I know that, I, like, I feel that more. But every stage of her life, I just take so much delight in. Like, I guess I kind of know this is my last time to have a two-year-old in the house. I'm trying to soak it all in. But I love it when she makes the next stage. And to watch her maybe talk in sentences now, and it makes sense, you know, and I can understand what she's trying to say. And, um, but each stage, we, we love to see our kids grow up, right? And to grow into something, and to grow in their passions and their hobbies and their abilities. It's a natural thing for families to want to do that. And great families grab onto that, and they are absolutely an environment and a culture that encourage growth in all of its members. You like this? Well, I'm interested in helping you figure out how. I will give time. I will give energy. I will go with you when you're starting to do this. Or I will figure out how to take some of my time and use it so you can grow in this area. And families have that kind of dynamic where they're looking to encourage the growth of each one of, each one of their members. Um, <clears throat> I actually had some time to video some of your kids. Um, and I ask him, what did you learn from your family? And so I want to share that. To not run away and to not sin. I've learned about the Bible. Well, um, not to do bad things and like, like, um, my brother taught me how to do some tricks on my scooter, like probably reason and jumps. Cool. Courage and love. Well, to not bully others and to believe in Jesus. Good. I've learned about God. Good. Good. I've learned about 
that Jesus loves everyone. Yeah, that's good. I learned that they're very weird. <laughs> they're very weird. <laughs> life, life lessons, shared, kind. Um, good. To be caring to one another. Good. To be caring to one another. Even Kyla? Mm-hmm. All right. That he, um, honesty is always right. Okay, great. That's good. Honesty is always right. Honesty is always the best policy, right? <laughs> they teach me how to love everyone in, in my family, and they teach me a lot about the Bible and all the stories in it. To love Jesus and um, um, to be kind to others. Um, new stuff. Okay. The Bible and stuff. Good. Good. They teach you stuff all the time, right? Good. Um, never shut the table when your little sister is playing in it because I accidentally smushed her fingers. Okay. I had to finish with that one because it was fresh on her mind. You could tell. That's what she had learned from her family so far. Obviously, this is the place where growth learning is taking place, right? I just want to remind us what it is that we're trying to teach them so that they can grow in and how to do that. I would remind you that family, that, that environment is a great place to teach our kids what to do with our feelings. What to do with feelings. You know, um, so often I, I, I think it's true that most of our problems as adults come from things we didn't learn as children. Most of our problems as adults come from things we didn't learn as children. So often, some of us still struggle with how to deal with our feelings or what to do with our feelings or how to rightly manage that whole area of our life because in our families growing up, that was something that wasn't taught or modeled or shown. What do I do with my feelings? What do I do with my sadness? What do I do with my anger? What do I do with my grief? What do I, how to, what to do with feelings? And I think it's in a family structure that we learn how to navigate that. A mom and a dad teaching and <coughs> modeling and, and talking through and allowing, you know, I kind of joked first service, my parents were, were really good parents. Um, contrary to what you believe about me, they were good parents. But um, uh, <clears throat> one of the things, though, that I think was kind of popular in that day, and as soon as I said it, some of you kind of looked at me and some of you glared at me. But um, uh, one thing that they would do would be like, um, you know, uh, uh, stop crying. You ever hear that? <laughs> stop crying. Just stop crying. And I think... <laughs> And I think that, you know, it was kind of that, that era's way of saying, hey, just stop crying. Don't, don't show emotion. And it was a way to maybe say, hey, control your emotion, right? And absolutely, there is some truth to that, okay? A three-year-old crybaby that doesn't learn how to re resolve that quickly becomes a 15-year-old crybaby, that continues to be a 25-year-old crybaby, right? Now, they might not sit there at 25 and on the floor. They might. <clears throat> but they'll be a crybaby in ways that it's evident. Just ask the people they're married to, right? 
honestly, when you peel away everything, they're not sitting on the floor crying, but they're really just being a crybaby, right? So absolutely, there was some truth to learning to resolve emotions. But I think maybe some of the old school way was just stuff it, man. Don't even show it, right? And so sometimes I think, like, <coughs> I probably had to stop crying at times when I probably should have kept crying a little bit more. Because it was like maybe that was kind of, that's just kind of a, a microcosm of the whole world of don't, don't, we don't show emotion. We don't deal with the emotion. Well, family's a great place to learn how to manage that. When it's appropriate, when it needs to be resolved. And ultimately, the fact that we live with feelings, they're powerful things, but feelings should never control our lives. You know, feelings control our lives. We are in for a roller coaster. We are in for, we'll never be the person we were created to be if we always live by how we feel. Amen? I think that's the old school people were trying to say, but sometimes I think they just made us stuff it real fast, you know? And um, family's a great place to learn how to deal with that. How do I deal with that? How do I manage that? How do I deal with feelings? Family showing us, teaching us ways to encourage growth is how to handle conflict. How to handle conflict. Um, moms and dads, this is so important. How do you handle conflict with one another? You're modeling every day what they see and understand about conflict. Um, notice I said, how do you handle conflict? I didn't say, do you have conflict? All right? Absolutely. But they teach us how to handle conflict inside of the family structure teaching and modeling with kids who are having conflict. What's the right way? What's appropriate? You know, I think all of us either fit into one uh, area with conflict. We're either like a skunk. As soon as a skunk faces conflict, what does it do? It lets loose, right? Oh, we're a turtle, right? As soon as we face something fearful or conflict, what what do turtles do? They draw in. I'm pretty sure almost every couple I've ever met, one's a skunk and one's a turtle. And learning how to, you're thankful for that, right? I called you a skunk today, I'm sorry. How to handle conflict is something important to encourage growth, to teach our kids how to live. How to handle loss, how to handle loss, how to handle disappointment, setback. Um, how to handle loss. Um, nobody wins all the time. In fact, you weren't supposed to win all the time. Right? Life is not going to always go your way. You're going to be disappointed. Family teaches us how to deal with, with that. Unfortunately, when you get older, they're not always just giving out participation trophies. Okay? You win some, you lose some, you lose a lot. We all know that. Family is a great way to teach us how to handle loss, how to deal with setback, how to deal with disappointment. I love what Proverbs 24 says. For though the righteous fall seven times, 
they rise again. Families teach us to be resilient, to learn resiliency, to model it yourself. When you face a setback, you get back up and go at it. Or you lose on the ball field, or you lose in something or something else to teach us how to handle loss. I've always been told it's good to have a pet because pets do what? (laughs) They end up dying, right? They don't live as long as we do. And it's actually something that's positive, not only to have a pet to enjoy life, and, but it's also not bad to have a pet because when they die, your family learns how to grieve, how to deal with loss. How to, there's so, there's important, important lessons to be learned in all of that. Families teach us, what do they teach us? What is it about growth? They teach us what, value, what values matter most. A world that's full of image, wealth, and fame. We're teaching the values that matter most. I said this first service. Listen. To be a Christian is to live counter-cultural. What we believe goes counter to the prevailing thoughts and ideas of this world. And it is absolutely important that we get, that we're going to be teaching our kids things that this world does not value. That can be difficult, right? But it is absolutely essential. The Christian lives in a way that values things that the world does not value. And what are we, how are we encouraging growth? What is it in what areas? We're teaching them what matters most. Through good habits, through good habits, modeling good habits, we're teaching them what. But how? How do we encourage growth? Through example, John chapter 13. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. You know, this sermon was supposed to be last week. And this week was supposed to be a different sermon. The whole premise of this week's sermon was supposed to be that in the construct of a family, the most important relationship is mom and dad. Mom and dad staying connected, staying strong, prioritizing the relationship with one another. So often we get the cart before the horse. As soon as the kids are born, they become both of our priorities. Scriptures never teach that. We are, that mom and dad's relationship is primary because out of that relationship flows the health and stability that the rest of the family needs. And so how do we model how to encourage growth? It's through example. It's through example. And that relationship between mom and dad are so important. The best thing they can see is a healthy, growing, affectionate relationship between mom and dad. Through conversations, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, it's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he says this, and impress these things on your children, the words of God, the way of God. Talk to them when they're, you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lay down, when you get up, always talking about the truth of God. And, and um, 
This is how we encourage growth, by always talking to them about why God's way is best, why God's will works out for the best, why it brings uh, that, that deep satisfaction that we're always looking for, why it makes sense in a world that's so broken and lost and fractured, why if we are committed to the truth of God, he always will bring our lives together in a way that is, is best. Through conversations. You know, I've been thinking about this. Um, my oldest is, uh, he's, he's like I was when I was, that, when I was his age. Was crazy about sports, right? I mean, he just lives, drinks, stats and sports and playing. And, and so often he'll start a conversation with me and be like, Hey, Dad, did you know what's his name hit 35 home runs last year? And I look at him and say, No, I don't. And sometimes I'm like, I don't really care. I, I want to say that, right? But I'm not going to say that to him because it's important to him, right? But so often we can, I can get into these conversations that I enjoy. I like to talk about sports. But I've been thinking lately, how, how are you consistently initiating conversation about God's word, God's truth, about how... His, his love and his grace has interacted in your life. How often are you sharing with him? How consistently? This is how we create an environment, a culture that encourages growth in the way that they're supposed to be. Through conversations. There's a couple ways that we don't encourage growth. That's not through criticism. How not to grow? Through criticism. Um, again, back to a sports analogy. What's the last thing you want to tell a batter before he goes to the plate? Everybody knows this, right? Maybe not. You're all looking at me like, don't strike out, right? Even the novice fan of baseball knows that they've learned that you, putting those thoughts in a person's mind is not productive for them when they go to the plate to try to hit the ball. Don't strike out. Remember, don't strike out. You've just put, you know, criticism only reinforces the negativity. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. That word exasperate is frustrate. And part of what he is, when you look at that more in depth, part of what the way that we frustrate our kids is when we are continually negative with them. Always about what you're not doing. You didn't do this good enough. You, you see what I mean? Just reinforcing the negative. That will not create a, a culture that promotes growth, encourages growth. It only reinforces the negativity. Until, maybe you've done this in your own life or you've seen it, somebody be like, all right, I get it. I'm not good enough. Well, I'm going to show you just how not good enough I am. Right? And just totally walks away from everything. And they're like, I give up. I can't ever be good enough for you. I can't ever whatever. I just throw it in. That's not an environment that encourages growth. The other way how not to grow would be through comparison. Would be through comparison. Criticism and comparison. Listen to Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. Everyone should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. It's Corinthians that says, 
those who compare themselves among themselves are foolish. They are not wise. And if I want to create an environment that encourages growth in my family, in my kids, one of the worst things I can do is compare them to one another and then to others. This is hard sometimes, right? Like, man, your sister got straight A's. That's not a good thing to do, right? Maybe you're trying to make them go or work harder, but that's just not a good thing to do. Compare. It doesn't promote growth, especially comparing yourselves to other people and other families and other that's not going to be an environment that creates growth. I want you to notice something in this verse, though. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. Did you, see, did you, did you just read the scriptures? That's okay. See, pride, like that was at the fall of man, right? Pride. Satan tempted Eve, her pride. God's hiding something from you. You can be better, you know, you can know more pride. I want pride. I believe the chief sin of man, the, the worst sin of man is pride. Pride. That's what all of Christian writers and theologians through the centuries have always said. The chief sin of man is pride. Yet, the scriptures teach us that there is a, there is a good pride. There's a good pride. It's that kind of pride that, you know what? I did the best I could do, and I'm proud of the fact that I did the best I could do. I'm telling you, that's an important thing to communicate to your family. I am proud of you. I'm proud of you. They need to hear that. They need to know that. I love you. That's fine. That's great. <laughs> that's fine. That's great. Whatever. No, that's important, right? I love you but I am proud of you is important. Paul models it. Paul, I am proud of you. You see, where pride is right is I did the best job I could or you did the best job you could and I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. You, you did the best you could. I'm proud. And where it starts to become sin is I'm proud of you. You did a better job than they did. See, comparison creates sinful pride. I can be proud in my own actions. I take pride in myself alone in my own actions. Pride becomes sinful when it's all about, I beat you. I'm proud of that. Right? Be proud of your kids, but don't fall into the comparison trap. Don't compare yourselves among yourselves, for they that do so are not wise. You want a, a healthy culture that encourages growth in your kids? Don't criticize them, and don't compare. The third thing, the third symbol, man, it's quiet in here, you guys. Everybody awake? Whoa, 1137. Okay, watch this. Third thing is, it has to do with this. This is a what? And what does your raincoat do? 
protects you, right? A raincoat protects you, absolutely. Remember when you were a kid, you had your little booties and your raincoat and put it on. Good families protect each other. Listen to this. Matthew says this, Matthew 5, 45. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the biggest problem people have with God. That's why they won't walk through those doors. How can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? How can a good God allow good things to happen to evil people, right? And they can't get over that. God's not fair, so I give up on God. And God all the while is saying, listen, it rains on the just and the unjust because this world is fallen and broken. I've actually done something about that in Jesus Christ. But the world is fallen and broken, and it's going to rain on everybody. We've already all learned that, haven't we? doesn't matter how you can be living right and something happens, you're like... You want to say, I don't deserve this. All of us, because it rains on the just and the unjust, are going to go through storms in life. Physical, emotional, relational, maybe financial storms. It's going to rain on us. And family is like a raincoat. They protect each other. They care for one another. They're there for each other. I ask your kids, why do they... Why do they love their families? And here's their responses. Because we do a lot of stuff together and it's really fun. Because they're always there for me. Mm. Because they care for me. Because they care for me. Well, one, they gave birth to me and then they like, since they love me, I love them. Because you love them. They love you, right? They care for you. And they support you, right? Good. Mm. Um, my mom sometimes says that she's like a really good mom. And I, I believe that. Because they're kind to other people, not just their family. Because they're always there to support me. Um, they support me and they care for me. Because they care for me. Because it's fun spending time with them, and yeah, I just love them all. Because they teach me a lot of things. Good. And they take care of you? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because they were there for me, and they take care of me. They care for me, right? That keeps coming up. Every kid could have said that. Depending on what was their mind, what was on their mind at that particular point, but it always comes back. Family, why do I love them so much? Because they're there for me. That is at the heart of what great families get. They protect one another in the storms of life. They run to each other, and they protect each other. Remember what Ecclesiastes says: Two are better than one. If one of them falls down, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. This is the phrase that's caught my heart. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Families protect one another 
in the storms of life. They're like a good raincoat. Storm's going to come, but they're there to provide protection, support, and help. And great families get that. The last thing is simply this. Great families serve others. Great families serve others, right? We spend a lot of time and energy on trying to, to provide the best for our families, right? Great families have realized, though, that if all of the energy and time is consumed on just their family, they're missing an important element that creates health, that creates better people, and that creates a dynamic environment. And that's when families learn that it's bigger than just them. And they learn to serve others. It's amazing. I've seen families go on missions trips. Our families take on a project, just locally. Say, you know what, kids? We're going to do this. We're going to help these people. We're going to live outside of ourselves. We're going to do this. Every time, every time they come back and say, you know what? Man, our families, they benefit from that. Create such a healthy environment. Um, some of you have taken your kids on missions trips. Man, what you're doing is just creating an environment where you're, you're helping them to serve others. And in that, one, it's a lot of times you go on a mission trip or go somewhere like that, they come back and they realize they don't have it so bad, right? So that helps you out a lot because they're not ungrateful as much. But also it's just living outside of yourself, realizing that our lives were meant to have purpose that is beyond us. And healthy families, great families, serve others. And they create an environment to serve others. So fight for your families. Fight for your families. Great family is not just going to happen by accident. It's going to take intentional, um, intentionality on our part. I think there's ways to understand how to create a culture that creates an opportunity for godly kids, godly families, godly homes. And that's have fun. Encourage growth. Protect each other and serve others. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I realize that in these moments on Sunday morning, when we, get, when we stop, we get still, we listen, Lord, that honestly beyond the words I'm saying, the Holy Spirit speaks far better, far more extensively into our lives. It's such a cool thing we do because we give our hearts a chance to be open to you in these times. And so, Lord, would you just take these thoughts, and, Lord, what you've been talking to people about as, as, as I have been talking, Lord, and just make them real to us and make it something that we know what we can, can do to act on to make this a reality. Lord, we all want to be a part of a godly family, a good family, great families. They provide love, security, all those things we desperately want. Lord, help these simple principles to help in that way. Have fun, encourage growth, protect one another, and serve others. There's a lot of other things that could be said. These are just some principles that maybe, maybe it's just this little thing or that thing that continue to help us to figure out how to create these healthy homes, these godly homes. Lord, go with each family, go with each person from this place. 
May we each have a great week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.